Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. with my friend, Damon Percy. Damon, it's always good to see you. And, you know, I, I start to look at things, and, and I notice that I think of you as Damon, but many people call you magic. Why are you called yes. magic? I'm called magic. So by, um, I was um, part of um, the first house in Detroit, the House of Charles, and mm-hmm. um a couple of our house members, um, Michi Charles, um, who's passed away, um, Michi Duvall, last year, and um, my mother, Diva, and my brother, Jared, they called me Little Magic based on the character in The Living mm-hmm. Color that Kim Wayans played when, when she was always auditioning to be on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, it, they said it because I was always happy and always joyous, and it just kind of stuck. So mm-hmm. when I met Curtis, he... That's how she met me. He told me, keep that. And he said, because that way, years later, it would be like, you know, Puffy or Cher or, you know, Madonna, you know, <laughs> typical, you know, gay man. So, and I was just like, okay. So, um, and that was just, you know, people, that's how they know me, either or. But a lot of times, people don't even know my name is Damon because they just called me mm-hmm. magic for so long. Mm-hmm. Well, you are magical. That's how I got it. Thank you. That's interesting. You know, that's really interesting. You know, I love that you went to Cast Tech. I did too. You know, I may have been there a moment or two before you, but hey, you know, that's really kind of cool. And it's funny how those of us who are from Detroit, no matter what we've done in life, Mm -hmm. When you say you're from Detroit, you'll get back into this high school thing. I mean, I yeah. was in, um, I know, I was in Chicago, and I don't know if you know Tariq Daniels, who's originally from Detroit. And he was like, yeah, um, he's in Austin now. And he was like, well, you know, I went to King. And I said, well, you know, I'm not going to hold it against you. <laughs> you know? right. And there were other people who were there who, you know, there's a lot of Detroit people who show up at things in Chicago. And then you went on mm-hmm. to Wayne State. You studied yes. journalism. Yeah. What was your, what, what, were you going to be that, write that great novel, or did you see yourself, you know, on the news, on TV, or in print? What did you see yourself doing when you got in, in, into journalism at Wayne State? So I've always written ever since I was a kid. I wrote stories and poems and, you know, things of that mm-hmm. nature. And then when I I wanted to be an entertainment reporter, um, so I started in the Journalism Institute for Minorities there. I was um, Ruth Seymour. I was her, um, like, intern. And then she just kind of helped me along the way, and I ended up working for Wayne State's newspaper, The South End. I was their entertainment reporter, mm-hmm. then the editor. And um, I connected with um, – couple, you know, make connections in the community. So I was 
you know, doing that, you review everything. You go to every play, every movie, every everything, you know, every CD you review. And this was in the early 90s. So um, black, um, you know, reporters of that nature, it wasn't a lot of us, especially guys. Because mm-hmm. I've flown, I went to um, a premiere in Los Angeles for Star Trek and Beavis and Butthead. And it was three <laughs> black people out of 110 in yeah. that, all the reporters from all over the country. And in LeVar Burton and Michael Dorn, they were the black actors in the movie. And they, you know, mm-hmm. pointed me out. They, you know, they got, they, I got my question asked. There was a room full of us. And, um, and I remember our bus had stalled. And I walked back in, and they were standing there. And they was like, you know, man, we're proud of you. You know, we know if you need to like, we know how that feels. Just, you know, don't let that deter you. And I said, I'm not. I appreciate that. But I wanted to um, be an entertainment reporter growing up in a household. I always loved um, movies and music. And I love to read. I'm still writing, you know, novels and planning. Mm-hmm. I have all these projects in my head because you never stop writing. You know, you always have something you have to get out. But I spent college, like, being an entertainment reporter. And then I eventually, after I left Wayne State, I went to – I started working for the Clark Sisters as a PR mm. person. I was doing PR. That was the other piece. So I was doing PR. So me and Jeffrey, we mm-hmm. started the very first – um, online gospel website and fan club back in 2000. Wow. Yeah, I remember as soon as you said that, I said, wait a minute, Jeffrey, he just told me about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. We, um, yeah, we did that. We did that for, God, about 13, 14 years. Um, and it was the first of its kind and, you know, just kind of that. And that whole thing was me wanting to, well, us wanting to, like, actually preserve the legacy of their mother, Dr. Maddie Moss Clark. Because growing up, for me, I grew up in the Baptist church. So, you know, all of their music and stuff, like their mother's music was in the home, but theirs wasn't. So when I became an adult and got to Wayne State in the gospel choir and started hearing, I was like, well, who is that? You know, mm-hmm. and then I was just like, nobody really talks about them like that. I'm like, nobody's better than them. That was, you know, our thing. And, you know, when we look at the timing of it, it was, you know, just several years after their mom passed, and they were just kind of trying to find contracts. You know, it's kind of a typical thing. But then learning about working with the church is a different animal, and that's mm-hmm. a different podcast. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just, you know, I you see them as the stars. I mean, they live the life that they think about. I can say that firsthand. But, you know, the church has so many rules and regulations and restrictions and things. And, you know, I didn't know, you know, I can't have a picture of a lady bigger than something on a thing because that's not promoting ministry. It's promoting whatever. And I'm just like, oh, okay, this is the record company, though. Mm-hmm. You know, but when mm-hmm. you're in near doors, I'm just like, child. But so, wrote, so I wrote, Um, I've interviewed a lot of people and Everything now, the particular thing about that is that you know you couldn't let them know that you were gay because mm-hmm. the entertainment industry as right as this homophobic, so and as you many know I had to, who are in there who are gay, but it's very homophobic very homophobic, you know they you just go do you know do your interviews and stuff, but it's like if you're at um, you know, I've been to the big conferences, like the Vibe Music Conferences, Quincy Jones parties, you know, New York, 
you know, all of these um, events. And, you know, it's like inside they're there with each other so they can be who they want to be, but you still can't. Mm-hmm. You know, I still can't let you know anything, like, because then, you know, people want to use that or however case. This is, you know, again, early, mid-'90s. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, I would learn people, and then, you know, people would, you know, hit on you and all this stuff. And you're like, is, is this really happening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, oh, it is, you know. But um, so writing that and then did that, and I worked for a publishing company. But I've always just kind of, you know, written. Um, I have a book of poetry as well. But I always wanted to write about our community. Mm-hmm. So, in other ways, said I made sure to start doing that in the paper. At least have an article a week about something that was black and gay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then I started writing um, for Kick Magazine at the time that really allowed okay. me to be freer. You know, mm-hmm. allowed me to be freer, and it's just kind of like being liberated. It's just such a joy, but then it's like you almost get overwhelmed. Like I'm actually doing this. You know, the consequences mm-hmm. are people who are not going to like it or appreciate you being yourself, you know, walking into that authenticity. And, you know, I thought about it strongly then, but now it's stronger because, you know, I've made it these, I say, 30-plus years since since I started college. And, you know, a lot of people are not here anymore in our community, you know, who were, you know, probably, you know, Ruth Ellis, you know, all the people mm-hmm. not you know, think of all the people I met and spent time with um, because I was going to the um, lesbian parties before I was going to the gay bars. You know, I've heard people say that too. In fact, uh, yeah, we're going, a friend of ours, you know, Tim M. West, he said that after a while, he said he was hanging so tough with the lesbians that after a while they said, look, you know, we need, to, need you to learn about this and go over here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to go to Club Penta. Well, um, with Marsha Young and Valinette, me and my cousin, we would get dressed up mm-hmm. on the first Sunday and go down in the basement and, you know, we'd go to the house, you know, and do stuff. Cause we were, we were like 20, 19. We weren't even old enough to get into the other gay clubs yet. And then mm-hmm. they took us to Splash. So it's just kind of like they kind of helped nurture that. They really, that generation always, you know, presented themselves as, you know, just kind of poised and dressed and, you know, all of that stuff. And they saw younger people and didn't, you know, always speak about people being predatory, you know, at that, you know, just period. You know, because mm-hmm. people look at the gay community and think that gay men and women are predators. And mm-hmm. we're not thinking about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're not you thinking know. about you. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, like in your house, growing up, like you had listened to, the Clark sisters, their mother, you grew up in the Baptist church. And here Mm -hmm. you were doing a lot of writing about that. Mm -hmm. Do you still feel, you know, and I've talked to people that like they said felt having to walk that line, that it was traumatizing and it took them a while to, to recover from that. But, you know, how did you handle it? Growing up, like, growing up, it was, you know, I went to church and did everything, did all the regular church stuff, so I was kind of shielded from a lot of the that until, because I would always try to pray the gay away and all of that, because, mm-hmm. you know, my grandfather was just like, oh, my God, it's going to kill me if you're gay, and so I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, and I'm a kid, so I don't even know what that is, 
like you're telling a 12 year old boy that, and he has no idea, you know what that is. I'm not even in puberty yet. Mm-hmm. And you talking about what I like, you know, and, but when I became an adult and started going to church on my own, that's when I saw all of the men of the church being predatory. And I'm like, wait a minute, this not supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and as I traveled to different mm-hmm. churches and started hearing the pastors, you know, speak against it. And I always heard um, the people in the church talk about, oh, yeah, you know, the sissies, the sissies. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you in the sissies' faces, you don't want the gown made. You want your wig done. You want to break bread with them. You want to find out the man that you're dating is gay. So you won't get mm-hmm. caught up. But you're going to demean this person in front of your leader to look good in front of your leader. You know, and, um, yeah, it, it, it is, I think the part that's really traumatizing is, you know, my mother, she's in church. I mean, she's still, and that's her thing. And, I mean, I go, I have a church, um, Bishop Van, you know, he never preached against anybody, you know, any group or anything like that. So that's never been like that experience with him. But I've gone to church where so I've been very uncomfortable. I think I've been more uncomfortable going to um home goings of the people in our community, mm-hmm. that's been the most uncomfortable for me when I hear the pastor saying that the reason that they're laying here is because they choose to live this way. They choose to do this. They choose to be, you know, and the family is applauding it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you got a group, you got their friends, the community who love them sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm yeah. Like, what? Mm-hmm. Well, so the reconciliation. Can, you know, hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead about that reconciliation. That's the reconciliation for me, like when I, you know, as I get got older, I was like, I needed to, and like I tell my mother, me and God have our own relationship. Mm-hmm. Like that has nothing to do, I told her, with you, with the church, with the world. When I'm here with me, it's me and him. Like, he made me so he knows exactly who I am. You know, I didn't just trip up on being who I am. You know, I didn't decide. I'm like, who decides to be somebody that gets persecuted every day mm-hmm. and threatened with death? And, you know, that, so I just I had to reconcile that. And I'm like, well, Lord, it's me and you, like you've always said. So it's like I had to trust that instinct and trust that thing to – learn to walk in my authenticity because I realized when I was around 19 that I, I couldn't live a lie, mm. that mm-hmm. I could not live a lie. I couldn't, you know, it's not going out and just blasting to the world before myself. I couldn't live a lie, and that's when I slowly started coming out to people, you know, because I was like, I can't date women and ruin their lives because women date mm-hmm. to marry, mm-hmm. you know, so... And I don't need to hide behind a marriage to be protected or to, you know, exist in the world. And, you know, that's I've seen so many people do that in the church because they're, they're conditioned to, they want to be seen so prominently in this, in this institution, you know, while they're suffering in silence or driving around here at the park at 2 mm-hmm. in the morning or 4 in the afternoon and, you know, all of those things. You know, I've gone to churches and, you know, been approached, you know, just kind of like quietly. And I'm, because when I'm in church, I'm in church. 
So I'm not mm-hmm. even thinking like, oh, that man, you know, I might look at me like, oh, he's attractive, but I'm never in my head like, oh, let me try and figure out a way to get him. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to church. church. I'm not going to disrespect. Yeah, uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah. and, they, and they wait for you in the hallway or on the steps. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, sir, mm-hmm. I'm trying to go eat. And, um, <laughs> right, so, you know, reconcile that. And that's how I just reconcile it where the relationship is mean. Like, I don't have to be in the house, in the church. If I want to go, I can go, and I don't know where to go. But, you know, the 90s is just so weird and wild because I go to these churches and hear these pastors condemn fire and brimstone on somebody, and then I run into the same man at Northland Mall or somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, didn't I see you at my church? Yeah, and I'm looking like, yeah, you did, because <laughs> you talked mm-hmm. all this stuff. Oh, well, you know, I just got to, you know, do that because that's what they expect. I said, God don't expect that. Mm-hmm. I said, you tearing down his people. All of us are his people. I said, God is love, and I said it to anybody. When you go against that, you're not living, you're not even trying to learn the word. You're not even trying to get into that. For yourself, you have to have a relationship with him so you can have joy and something on the inside to fight against the world. You agreeing with bitter people is not going to do that. And I had to just Mm -hmm. do that and decide every day to stand more in my truth and my authenticity and, you know, be an example of a good person. Be an example of a person who, you know, loves everybody and just is willing to give and help what we learned as kids. So when people see me, you know, they don't even think about nothing but the sexuality. They look at me and it's like, oh, that's Damon. Mm-hmm. It's kind of really mm-hmm. how, you know, it's it's kind of seen a lot of times because people kind of don't think, I mean, they do think about it, but then a lot of times they don't because mm-hmm. during that period I had – um you know, the early, my early 20s, it was rough for me because I was having it bad on campus because people were, you know, um, you know, teasing me and harassing me, not putting their hands on me, but just always, you know, making, you know, slurs and stuff. But I just had mm-hmm. to decide to walk through that as well. So a bunch of my high school friends, you know, they always had my back, male and female. And um, I told them a couple weeks ago, we were somewhere, and, you know, I told them, I said, you all saved me from, you know, doing sex work, um, getting addicted. I said, because you showed me that you love me. I said, a lot of people are not as lucky as me to have people on that side to, you know, hold them up. You know, I said, we're 50 now. I said, I didn't think I was going to make it to 30. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you, just, know, you know, based on that. One of the things that, that you mentioned, and we had talked before we, we got into this conversation, about a mutual friend of ours, Curtis Lipscomb, who most people, I mean, at this generation know him as, you know, LGBT Detroit. But back in the day, there was Kit, the magazine. How important was it for you to find Kit? It was, it was very important because it showed me that I wasn't alone. Um, as a black gay creative, as a black gay writer, because when I started writing for the paper, it was just like, okay, you what, how, where's your community that you can write about? Where are these people? And when I met Curtis, he was like, oh, you're a writer. He was like, I'm, I've just started a magazine. 
And I was like, oh, okay, in my mind, a black gay magazine. I was like, how are we going to get that out? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was I was young and everybody else, I think, because he was probably 30 at the time. So everybody was like his age, a little older. And we, you know, sacrificed ourselves to do this magazine for the community. And I learned in that the importance of people needing representation, needing someone mm-hmm. to give them a voice, needing to look at something and see themselves reflected in words, no matter if it's a paragraph or a page or just a eight-page plan, anything, but seeing yourself empowers you to keep going and move forward. And I, and how important that was was that Kick was the um, one of three or four magazines in the entire country that reflected black, gay, um, men and women. It was SBC, Venus, Us, and there was somebody else. But I remember those magazines in particular. And um, just the way, you know, we had to mail them out in the, you know, the brown bags and, mm-hmm. um, you know, that stuff. So it just, it exposed me to, so, oh, so I can write about me and not worry about, this what you know i'm in a mainstream something and people are sending you an email like you know what the heck is this you know why are we seeing this or then the people that thank you for oh my god you know you have you know this you're showing me something and it's just a it's a step you take when you um bear yourself as an artist you know to the world because you know you're giving them yourself no matter what it is because it's for the people and I learned just that importance because that was 94 when it started, when we started it. And, um, you know, I was still in, um, I was still in undergrad and I ended up living with Curtis and his partner at the time because they adopted me as their son mm-hmm. and I stayed with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lived in the one bedroom apartment on John R., which is now <laughs> Comerica Park. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, you remember it. And um, mm-hmm. so it just kind of, that was like my early training for that piece of it. And it was, I mean, it was exciting. And then, cause I look at people who we met then who were kind of doing the same thing, kind of like, you know, our first big interview was James O'Hardy, you know, off the B-Boy Blues and that mm-hmm. whole series, you know, his first big interview here was us. And on the flip side, our house gave him, the house of Charles gave him a huge party at the house that we had. So it was just kind of like, he was becoming, you know, the gay royalty then in 95, and now he's, you know, a legend. You know, but he's still my big brother. You know, I talk to him. I see him when I go to New York, and he's always encouraging me, like, what are you doing? What's going on? What are you, you know, I need to see something. And um, <clears throat> so that, yeah, that, um, yeah, that, that's important. And it's still important because the written word, you know, is very powerful, you know, people are in the age where they like visuals and to see pictures, but, you know, the reading, that is more important because a picture's worth a thousand words, but, you know, mm-hmm. a man can write 10,000 and give you more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I was going to ask you that because as a cultural uh, uh, critic, you know, I mean, we've gotten so much into, like, oh, here's a picture, here's, mm-hmm. you know, on, on social media, here, here's a TikTok and all like that. And often, I mean, I have met some people are writing some phenomenal books. Um, mm-hmm. And but sometimes it's like 
there's a generation who's not really reading books. Do you think not having a presence, I mean, and to me, um, you finding kick, you were on mm-hmm. your path, but that really sort of like changed your trajectory to you finding your authentic self and, and finding your voice and doing it. There's not a kick there. I mean, and now we're sort of like woven into all of these different things. Do you think that we've lost something? Are there, do you see both good and bad in the fact that we can watch something like P-Valley, but then also Mm -hmm. look at another show. You can see Queen Latifah being like just a cop and they haven't brought up her sexuality yet. Mm -hmm. And then there's other shows where you can have lead characters who are openly gay. Have we lost something? Are there good things about the way it is now? Or have we lost things? Um, I think... I think we've gained a lot um, in that way because when I think about just that time, I can count the things that we had. Um, Paris is burning, Philadelphia, mm-hmm. um, and maybe uh, probably uh, maybe one or two um, Daughters of the Dust, um, you know, Tongues Untied, just a few things, and they were all mm-hmm. controversial because, you know, we were in it. Um, but like, here we go, 25 years later, it's like, we're kind of everywhere and it's in different projects that for us who are in the community, it's things that we're used to, you know, like, you know, we all have our uncle Clifford in our circle. So mm-hmm. seeing him is just like, oh, okay. And then people are like, oh my God. But when people are presented authentically, they don't think about it twice because I I look at how people kind of react to um, him and characters like that. Like if they're not being, it's a way that people present like that and they're very extra because they're trying Mm -hmm. to show that I'm not being authentic. I'm just trying to be seen. So that's two different things. Um, What I think that we've lost is that people don't take the time to really learn about the characters and really, digest these projects because now you know people want it so quickly they want they either want to binge the show or watch it and then two weeks later they want another season Mm -hmm. they want another book they want another song they want it's like they've um, social media and just um the internet and the way things are presented has just insatiated them with instant gratification so when artists or stuff is created, by the time I get to watch it on the weekend, it's been analyzed, 10 thought, think pieces have been written about it, it's been torn up, <laughs> torn down, it's been presented. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, well, not at that point, I'm like, well, I just get to it when I get to it now because y'all all talked about it. But then on the other end, people who exist kind of in that cultural realm, you know, kind of view things differently, like, you know, things are for entertainment, yes. So people want to be entertained and should be because that's what movies and music and all that stuff is for. But a lot of times people over, it's like when they dismiss something because it's mm-hmm. not the generation. You know, I have issue with that, like polls, like the younger generation. Thank you. You know, it's, I remember when it came out, people were like, well, why ain't they doing it right now for the current ball scene? Because y'all in the current ball scene. Mm-hmm. We're teaching you history. Like, this is 
history. These are your parents and mentors from the community. This is how we lived. You know, learn, you know, and it was that probably is I couldn't have never imagined that show when I was that age, living that show. Mhm. Cuz I lived that show. That that Damon is me. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And that Damon is me and Blanca that's my mother diva. That when I mm-hmm. watched that show, I tried to almost jump out of my skin. <laughs> I almost jumped out of my skin. I I couldn't mm-hmm. I was just like, okay. I was like, this, this. I'm, I kept saying, this is not happening. So I think when it came, when it premiered, I finally got to like the third episode. So I watched those first three back to back, and I was just sitting here with my jaw agape, and mm. I had to call her, and I was like, are you? Have you watched? Are you watching this show? Have you watched the show? And she was like, yes. And she said, that's when we lived over in the project. I'm like, yeah. Mhm. Mhm. She was like, I, she said the same way I got you. She said, "Oh my God!" But um, to your point, I think we've lost the um, people take for granted how we got to this point with all of mm-hmm. these things. People mm-hmm. just act like this stuff has always been here, and they dismiss it. They don't support it enough to, and that's how we don't have more than two seasons of something, more than one season, because. You're so busy arguing the character and, you know, dogging it down and not watching it that we can't get the other two-thirds of the community who need it. Mm-hmm. You know, but you, you people take – this generation takes for granted that all this stuff has been here because they don't have to go research nothing. They can just type in Google and find anything that we had to fight for, work for, you know, get beat down for. You know, you can just type right in Google and pull it up instead of being out in the streets, you know, with the people and understand that, oh, 20 years ago, this wouldn't have been a show on TV. Ten mm-hmm. years ago, you know, really just on primetime, mm-hmm. you know, anything and even the amount of um, um, books. Um, I'm looking at books that are unread because that's what we do <laughs> sitting on myself mm-hmm. right now. Um, but I, I was, a, um, it was an online publication called Sapiens Magazine that existed from like 2004 to like 2007, and I was their book editor. And I didn't even know that that many books by black gay authors existed. Once hmm. I started getting books to my home, and I was like, who, and in my head, nobody's promoting this. I mean, the books the authors do it as a selfless job because they need to write it. But it's like they're not getting a big um, tour or campaign. It's like they're, you know, doing this on their own. Or if they're doing it out of publishing houses, their budget is so low, you know, they can't go anywhere. But people take for granted that that's always been the case. Mm-hmm. You know, now that's what we've, we've lost the urgency to appreciate the works being created. We've lost the urgency to appreciate you know, what it is, you know, we need to keep alive and that we need to, you know, hold dear to ourselves because a lot of these people who, you know, did this, they're gone. You know, the 80s took these people and Mm -hmm. they took these people. So, you know, there's no Essex, there's no Marlon Riggs, you know, James Baldwin, you know, all these people, all the Lord, you know, all these people who inspired the writers like our age, 
my age. Um, and we have, it's, you know, a few sites. Um, um, I can't even think of it, Jesus. It's a site that um, does it, Darian Aaron. He's, he has The Conjuring. It's like a, um, a website, but he does these. He just got an award for his um, work. Um, and he, you know, he writes the stuff. So it's kind of like we've lost people taking time to appreciate what we have, what we've done, and to really sit down and do it. You know, they, they're smart, and they can create you a website and all this other stuff, but when you want to sit down and talk to them about, you know, certain works and all of that stuff, some of them aren't, you know, susceptible to it. Mm-hmm. But, Damon, we're going to take a quick break, allow people to stretch their legs, and okay. we'll get right We'll get right back because, um, I mean, this part of your conversation is so interesting, and I have some questions for you. So we'll be right back. Okay. So I'm back here with Damon Percy. And, you know, Damon, we were talking about, you know, those shows like Pose and what's the other one, Legacy, and, you know, and – you know, I talk to people. So I um, mm-hmm. I talked to Sid Ballou, who I want to say he's um, his his ball name is Sid Extravaganza. There's Solomon Arnold, okay. who's in who's in Chicago, and even mm-hmm. Tariq Daniels, who's part of the House mm-hmm. of Lepore, but he was originally okay. from Detroit, and he mm-hmm. wrote a book about his days being a young a young person in the ballroom scene. Um, okay. um, no bond so strong. Okay. And how, you know, like you said, the things that people went through, like he was saying, like that was a family, the family that took him mm-hmm. in, that, that mm-hmm. nourished him. Everyone, each one of these, these people I've talked to, it, that's family. And, but, mm-hmm. but then Tariq got an award and, um, in part for something else that he's doing, but um, he does HIV peer support. But the person who was giving him an award, they said, you know, he does that ballroom stuff. And he's, and they had looked into it and saw, like, the family, the supporting each other, mm-hmm. that it was more. And they said, oh, I just thought it was, you know, they saw it as entertainment because, the, and this was someone who was gay, because they had said, you mm-hmm. know, I never really got into it. And I just watched like Pose and this other one, and I just thought it was entertainment. But, you know, it's more than that. And I'm going to, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. Do you find that that part of the history, how important is it that that part of the history, I mean, because we've done a whole bunch of things to survive mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. gay people, as black gay people from ballroom, yeah, yeah. from all that. How important is it? And I know this is a project that I want you to talk about, about Mm. that history. I mean, I've had young lesbians when marriage came out who didn't understand that Ruth Ellis had been in a relationship, good, bad, but, you know, that Mm -hmm. we've had LGBT people who've been in relationships for a long time when they couldn't call it marriage and they had to keep it hidden. How important Mm -hmm. is it for us to preserve and share this legacy. Wow. Um, <laughs> very. The most important. And going back to what they were saying about Pose and Legendary and people mm-hmm. not understanding the family aspect, mm-hmm. 
is something I always tell people over and over again that it's family. Like mm-hmm. people are like, well, I'm not down with that mother and father. No, you, it's not for everybody. Like people have been saved and taken off the street, and mm-hmm. you know when you when you step into the gay community, that is an entirely different animal. And if you by yourself sometimes, <laughs> you're not gonna make it. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna make it as a young person because there are so many things you know coming against you, and you need again a reflection of yourself. Um, like my family, they hadn't put me out or anything, but I was just to the world. I was, you know, I was young. I was just didn't know anything, naive on that front. And coming into the community, I was just like, oh wow, you know. You know, and, you know, I got took, taken in. Um, we were in the house, and then, like, soon after, very soon, Diva was like, you know, I'm your mother. And I was like, what is that? And when she explained it to me, I said, okay, so we all became family, and 30 years later, we're still family. You know, we just mm-hmm. went to a pageant, and one of my sons, I took him. I was like, you need – I said, your grandma's going to be there. I said, but all your people you haven't seen – and he just saw them and cried. He was just like, oh, my God, I miss my family. But if we don't tell the story, people are not going to know. Like, and that's what's when I watch polls. I tell anybody who, you don't want to know me, I'm like, watch that. Just watch the show if you want to. Mm-hmm. My first boyfriend, we're still friends. We're 15 to 17. And he hadn't watched it because he was Ricky. And um, I said, you have to watch it. I said, and then call me. So he watched it, he got through it, and he called me just in tears. And he was just like, oh, my God, because he wasn't in the house, but that's just, that was our relationship, Damon and Ricky. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's like, it's very important because a lot of these people, again, are gone. A lot of, a lot of black gay history is not documented, you know, because the, the people who wrote it were, you know, trying to survive through the HIV period. So they didn't come out on the other side to say this is what where we are, where it looks like. You know, they they gave their last breath to the movement to have their stuff documented. And um, it's very important because people don't want black people's history to exist, first of all. Thank but you. for black gay history, they definitely okay. don't want anybody to know that we can smile that we're living, that we've done all these things and created all this culture that you're appropriating every hour, Um, you know, and it's important because everybody's story is important. Like everybody has a different journey that's important to the fabric of our community. And those stories need to be told and preserved. They, I always tell people that the reason that we don't have a lot of stuff is because black people are always in survival mode. So you're not thinking about, oh, let me keep this stuff. Let me keep these flyers. Let me, you know, if not, we didn't have cell phones. So you can just take 50 pictures in two minutes, mm-hmm. you know. And so a lot of people lost, you know, lost photographs and stuff and, you know, moving. And they'll you know, talk about when people pass away and their families ravage their belongings. Mm-hmm. and just dump that entire piece of their life out in the trash, you know, so you never know that person existed in that realm. And it's, the history is important. It's so important. It's just, you know, as I've gotten, I think the last decade, it really became more clear to me to 
you know, start, because I always keep a lot of stuff, you know, pictures and flyers, and that's why I take so many, always have taken so many pictures. I just, I like my friends. I like the moments. I don't let it interrupt the moments, but I want to keep that. And um, just like even, you know, like you met me, I was, had a high top, barely a mustache, <laughs> You know, sitting on the couch with John R. You know, you know, just Mm -hmm. watching you all. You know, be these thriving adults in the community, and I was like, oh, I can be that, and it's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, when I first went to Robert Tate's house, and it was a holiday party, and you all were there, and I all just met me and Chris, like this is my son with Chris Verdon, and you know, I got a suit, and I'm just walking around, and everybody was just, I was like, oh, wow, this is like, like, everyday people, like, mm-hmm. they're just like mm-hmm. me, it's not, you know, y'all like, I'm coming from work, or we doing this and that, and, you know, I never got, like, in y'all faces, because you were the adults, like that, adult <laughs> adult, like, so okay. I just kind of stayed away, not away, but off to the side, because I had my friends, and, you know, my people, just like, when I was with y'all, it was like, Almost, I'm going to see my aunts and my uncles. That's how I told Cornelius. I'm like, that's what y'all were, because a lot of times I was the only young person in the room, because I would be mm-hmm. with Curtis. And just being with him also magnified, you know, the, the need for preserving the history of, because mm-hmm. when I look back on all the things that we've done as kick LGBT Detroit, and I'm just like, this stuff is nowhere. Like, if I go online, you won't find anything about gospel and soul or, you know, the early picnics or um, the Lady Shibley coming, you know, the women y'all doing stuff in the community and having these big gorgeous events, you know, in the yard, you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's like, so the people who are writing these shows now, they're kind of thinking like I'm thinking, like, and the sad thing is that so many people tell them, no, nobody wants to see that. Why are we doing this? But then once it goes beyond, it's like, oh, we no, you weren't behind it the whole time. You know, because, again, it's a thankless, you know, thankless job. But the history is important because when people leave, their stories go with them. Their stories go. And, and, and you know, especially when you talk about, Representation matters. And, you know, we have a lot of generations, but sometimes if you don't tell that story, I bet you there are people, in fact, I I, I had someone laughing just over the weekend because my mother grew up in the North End, and so did Mm -hmm. Ruth Ellis. And we used to have the Detroit Women's Coffee House, and on time I was so proud that Ruth Ellis, who was like the mother of our community, Mm -hmm. was there, and my biological mother came. So they mm-hmm. started talking about the things in the North End, places that they both recognized and all like that. And Ruth jokingly said to my mother, you know, if I would known you had lived in the North End, I might have looked at you, you know. And my mother jokingly mm-hmm. said, you know what, if I knew you had lived in the North End, I might have let you chase me. And it was like, but they were right there mm-hmm. in that neighborhood. They had that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they talked about all these different things that happened in the North End, which was history. But the fact, like, you know, well, and afterwards I was talking to my mother. I said, well, you know, did you know about gay people? And she said, no, that was something that we didn't talk about. Although, mm-hmm. she said, they were probably living next door to her. She said she had an, a cousin who they were 99.9% sure now looking back who was, 
gay, and she would come and bring her friend with them, and they just referred to her as friend, but she said that would have changed her whole perception mm-hmm. if she had known we were right there. So to tell those stories, it's a, it, that's what it does. I mean, to say, like, no, we're not brand new. We've been around, like, mm-hmm. forever living, mm-hmm. working side by side doing that, and that's why I think yeah. that what you're trying to do is so important. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I um growing up, my uh, my oldest cousin. I think I think about like when I saw gay, but didn't know what it was because it was never told to us. My oldest cousin, okay. she's from that era. She she's a party girl. Um, okay. you know that's my heart. But she had she had friends. They would come to the house. Now we're talking seventies gay, cowboy okay. boots, hoochie daddy shorts. You know, time of feeling scarves, that type of thing. And they would come to the house, you know, parents' house, and it was never said, oh, they're this. That never was a thing. Like, her best friend, they used to do dance contests and stuff, and he was just Sean. You know, he would spend the night, um, you know, he was sleeping in his little lace, and he wasn't trying to touch nobody in the house because I had two brothers. So mm-hmm. they just, because they come home drunk from the bar, you know, and be sleep, pat, wake up, and I'm like, oh, okay. But they were always kind to me as a kid. Like my parents never said, oh, you can't be with them. They would take me. I, they would take me school shopping. So you know, I was dressed, and mm-hmm. um, they take me school shopping by my bags and all that stuff. And just um, so when I got older and I went out and I started seeing the people, because I know he he gave the guy gave my aunt who raised me a picture of him in a wedding dress posed on the street. Brave. This is like 1979 or something, you know, mm-hmm. to thank her for like being kind of a mom to him. And she was like, "Yeah, you, you welcome here," you know, type of deal. Their thing for me when I came out was them worrying about someone hurting me. That was their mm-hmm. concern, you know, mm-hmm. more so than anything else. And um, but you know, in Detroit, we know how to fight, so I wouldn't really press <laughs> <about> that. <clears throat> but but it's just kind of like you know the way the history. It's it's like it's important because you know when we do not talk to anybody like and I get people on the panel for your generation we're just sitting there listening like and I said y'all can't keep holding these stories forever you know we I'm like a lot of us do want to hear you know I'm mm-hmm. like I always want to hear but it's like when people because I used to always say it I'm like people don't hear me talk want to hear me talk and. I, because I've been saying for the last five years, I want to do this project, you know, concerning our, you know, history. And so then it just kind of aligns because, you know, God always says, okay, be ready. Because when I start making it happen, you need to be ready. Mm-hmm. And that's what's been going on. Like I've now been working because I work with Detroit Sound Conservancy, how it leaned heavier into it. They're um, restoring the club having sound system with Ken Collier. They contacted Curtis, and he said, oh, that wasn't my, was my club. That was for the kids. Let me mm-hmm. take you to my son. And mm-hmm. um, Carlton goes, he, he contacted me, interviewed me for like 10 minutes, and I was done. Then he had to go on story court, me and Curtis, to be interviewed there. So then they said they needed a face from that generation. And Curtis was like, well, make it work for you because you said you want to start, you know, talking. Here you go. And I started going to these different places, kind of talking about, you know, my coming out and just the 90s and just existing. And people had no clue because the crowds would kind of be, like, mostly white. 
music mm-hmm. lovers or um, college students, and they would just be looking, and I would take pictures of, you know, me dressed back then, how it would be, you know, for um, stuff like that. And, you know, I'm like, y'all, y'all exist in a privilege that we can't understand, that we're not afforded. Mm-hmm. I say you can navigate through any traverse of the world or community that you want to without being looked at. You know, I want to try this. I want to do that. I want to be here just to see something. I said, but we have to fight to exist every day. We have to fight to be heard. We have to fight for someone to want to hear us. We have to get somebody to write our story. We have to get somebody to record us. We have to make the decision to record these things and scan pictures now and flyers and stuff as the world is recognizing kind of our worth depending on what the work is, what they need it for. Like, are they doing an exhibition just, you know, to keep up? And, um, mm-hmm. you know, but it's important to me because this is my life and who I am. This is, I just, you know, just turning 50, I look back on the 20-year-old in college who was just like, okay. And then I look back on all the things that I've been a part of since that time, just being with Kick and being with LGBT Detroit and um, being with um, my house, um, our house used to do, you know, stuff for the AIDS hospices back then. Mm-hmm. That was taboo. You know, that was taboo in the early 90s. You couldn't go in there, you know, you couldn't touch nobody. But, you know, we would go in there and you understand that these people who, um, you know, they were left alone to die by their families, these Christians, because mm-hmm. they didn't want the church to know. And you brought it mm-hmm. upon yourself. So these people are in agony, they laugh, they want to see somebody who they love. You know, sometimes there'll always be one mm-hmm. sibling or something, but it's just I could never imagine just that abandonment, and that always haunts me because I think now about those people whose stories are, you know, just with the ancestors, mm-hmm. you know, and you I know, just I... want to work to make them proud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the most powerful memories I have of Renee McCoy, I know that she was dealing with hospice for people who had AIDS, and she had this this pager on. And Mm -hmm. um, we were going into something that was kind of fun, and she had shown Mm -hmm. up, and she was on her way in the door, and her pager went off. And she said, I've got to go. And people were like, well, you know, you don't know. And she said, no, because most of these people who she saw they had no biological family there mm-hmm. with them, and it was important to her mm-hmm. that that she was there. Like you said, she heard these stories from them. She sat with them. And, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. and I know people who've never met Renee McCoy or her history in Detroit, but it mm-hmm. was like I will always remember how moved I was, what a powerful image that was. And if you mm-hmm. don't have your family, you don't have someone to tell these stories to, to talk about, you know, what you went through or what mm-hmm. you, your dreams, your hopes, you know, how lonely, how what a, a horrible way. And I know that, um, who is it, Tim Retzloff, like he has this great history, but they're mostly white mm-hmm. people, white gay people. Yeah, and he, yeah. And he's often has said to me, because I've talked to him a couple of times, he said, you know, I don't know anything about the black gay gay community, and it's hard for me to get them to open up. Well, 
you're white. I mean, and that's not really yeah. just him. He's nice. Mm-hmm. But I could see where someone would want to sit and talk with you. You would understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You that's, know? And, that's, and that's kind of the thing when I see all of you, and I'm like, okay, because it's like, um, like um, my friend Michi, when he passed last year, the week before, it was, he, the, he passed that Thursday, but that Sunday was Valentine's Day. And we would always talk um, the morning, Sunday mornings, and we would, you know, and so, and he always had, he had this intu- intuitive gift. Um, and he was like, what are, you, what are you working on? What are you working on, Magic? And I was like, um, I said, I'm trying to get all of our stories down, our family history. I was like, I need you to you need to sit and talk with me. He was like, I'm not important. I said, Michi. I was like, you're very important. Everybody knows you in the community. I said, but you, I said, right now you working for the Jones Girls and Bunny the Bards, doing their clothes. I was like, you're doing all this stuff. I was like, I need you to just do it. And he was like, okay. And then, of course, he passed. So it's just kind of like, you know, I think about that because he was, you know, just, you know, kind of mid-40s, 40-ish. And um, mm-hmm. I look at the people who I've been with in the mentor meeting. We're all this age now. We're just kind of chilling. But, you know, I told someone, I said, on the flip side, people in the community who have been horrible to people, they're going to die alone because mm-hmm. they, for themselves, they've treated people badly. Um, you know, just kind of whatever is going on in their life, you know, they just spill, let it spill out onto everything else. And when, when they pass, it's just like, okay. You know, you don't want that for anybody, but it's like, mm-hmm. you know, their story is important as what not to do. Um, and they could have done some, you know, meaningful things in the community, but people like, yeah, okay. Um and it's just, and it is, it's just, you know, it's, sometimes it's overwhelming because it's like, but as I started, I didn't realize how many people actually wanted to tell their story. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the thing. Like some of my friends, I have a friend, she she's married and she works. So I was like, well, I know you're not going to say anything because I don't know if your picture comes out, will that mess up where you are? But we talked on the phone about a bunch of stuff that I never would have known, like her, you know, transitioning, being a pageant girl, just living as a woman every day, her husband. But we've been friends forever, so she trusted me with that. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of like, you know, I want people to tell their stories so people will know, A, just how dope we are overall, how necessary it is for you to, committed, even if you tape it for yourself and have it somewhere, because I tell people all the time, your straight family and the heterosexual world does not want that story out. They don't want to know how you treated them. They don't want to know how successful you were. They don't care. If mm-hmm. we don't care about our own stories, nobody else is going to. And once they monetize those stories, they whitewash it. The Stonewall movie they had the white man throw the brick. Come on, come on. Marshall come was on. nowhere around there, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm looking like, so we're in the theater, and I think I said it first, and I said, what the? And then somebody mm-hmm. behind me, and I was just like, you know what? I was like, why am I surprised? Why am I surprised? And when I went to look, you know, online, YouTube, I'm starting to find more little documentaries and pieces about certain things, but it's like, it's not Detroit. Like, we've done so much. 
Thank you. You know, just we've done so much, and it's like we always kind of get left out. Like even with um. You know, I was so happy because on the show Legendary, we had a bunch of the Detroit um, kids on there from different houses okay. who live here and work here. But, you know, they went on the show, did their thing, and, you know, came back home because that's what Detroit do. It's almost like we're never phased by it. We don't let it like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm on this show and you need to see me like this. You know, but when they come home, they just out there like, what's up, aunt? I'm like, hey, you back? They're like, yeah, we, we, we want to drink. Oh, okay. <clears throat> you know, and um, so it's it's just kind of like when I see gay stories being told and when they do become black, they're telling their story from their city, which is great, and that's what has to happen because mm-hmm. we're not, we don't live in a silo where it's just like, but it's like for Detroit, I don't see enough of it. You know, even – because um, I said I'm going to launch site in October, Black LGBT, you know, History Month, because it's, um, you know, it's necessary. And it's just like everybody, and I, and I know everybody's not going to or, or has to, but it's like if you're in the community, your story is important. I mean, even if you're just a man or woman living day to day, because how did you just get to that point? Like you own your identity. Like, what does that look like for you? Like, what does that look like? Like, I always decided that I wanted to be um, an example for um, the younger people in the community. Like, I had, like, I was lucky. Like, I was lucky. You know, I was able to go sit up under y'all, just kind of listen, be groomed, be told stuff, and, you know, have that part of that. And then I had this other world, you know, the club world in my house and that we all were creative and everything and just kind of eased into, you know, my own life and just started seeing younger people needing someone. And I was like, I, I, I was like, I know I'm not about to do this. Because <laughs> I was always telling, I don't know if you know about parent. I was always tell Diva. I was, she was like, it's going to happen. She said, watch, this is one day you, you're going to see somebody like I saw you and you're just going to take them. She said, and this, she said they, when people need you, they just, she said, you can't tell them no like that. And especially if it's a young person or even an older person who, you know, it's so many stories like they have, haven't come out until they were 30 or 40 mm-hmm. and they don't have anybody mm-hmm. to talk to or, you know, kind of guys. And, you know, I have a, a couple of my, my children in the community. They're that, you know, they're older, but they feel like 22. And I just be looking, but you don't know what their journey is. Like, how did they get here? Some people stuck in church, mm-hmm. you know, all the time. And that that's always the thing, too. And it's like learning yourself and kind of unlearning the things that make you unhappy to find that grounding and the authenticity. You find that when you go look and find stories about people who look like you who've experienced the same things, who are saying the thing in your head, like how they made that jump from being a scared person to just living every day happy. Because you don't have to be out painting the rainbows and fighting. There's enough of us mm-hmm. fighting, but we all mm-hmm. need to fight for our stories. But if I'm fighting hard so you can just go to the plant and come home and just be happy being you, then that's cool. Mm-hmm. Instead well, of being know, scared. I hope that, mm-hmm. especially because, I mean, everywhere, I mean, I'm surprised at different places that I go, and there's people 
who are from Detroit, and like they're claiming what, you know, they're talking about what they're doing where they are now, but they have a history in Detroit. And I hope that a lot of them are able to contact you and do it. Because I was telling somebody, I was in Chicago right after the Woodward caught fire, and Mm -hmm. there were so many people who were there from all different places. Mm -hmm. Many of them had a story about either they'd been in Detroit and that's where first fire they went to. They visited Detroit and they went to, and there was an older gentleman who was talking about, well, you know, I was in Detroit how he had grown up in Detroit. My man broke mm-hmm. out a napkin and was drawing a map. And he said, now, if you go here and you went here, I don't know if this street is in the because some of that stuff, I don't even know where it is. But he was <laughs> drawing a history of these places to where they went when he was here in Detroit and mm-hmm. young. I mean, it was like, that was a history. And he had left And The thing that was so crazy was, like, there was somebody else who was there, the young man I was telling you about who was getting acknowledged for the work he's doing in Austin, and he was mm-hmm. like, well, I was from Detroit. And so they started talking about, about you know, Detroit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we need to know about this. You know, it's great that you moved on and you're doing great things, but mm-hmm. that history. So I hope that you're able to not only capture the people here, but some of the ones who had left, come on back and, hey, Renee McCoy out there in what is it, Seattle, <laughs> you know, come on back. Renee, yeah. That's the that she needs to sit down and talk to you about. And, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I can think of other people, who, and um, and there's another couple, who is it, Marlon Brown and his partner Danny. Like they said, no matter where they go, periodically they have to come back and get their Detroit fix. Yeah, Marlon was just here um, two yeah. weeks ago. We went to um, we went to dinner. We we went out um, to dinner, and I told him about this. And he was right. like, "Yeah." He was like, "I was on there." Um, he said, "I saw." I remember when Danny was on there. I uh-huh. remember when he was on there. Uh, but uh, yeah, Marlon. You know, I've known God Marlon for yeah, uh, forever. But that's you know, he was like one of my brothers. But it's like him, and um, I wanted I wanted to look like Oprah's master class. You know that series that mm-hmm. she had. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be like that because I want us to be presented like that. And even, um, like, if I do an audio, but I feel like I want to get these stories because I just, one of my birthday gifts, one of my um, ex-partners bought me a whole podcast set. Oh, wow. For my birthday, the you microphones, know, the MP3, all of that stuff. It came in the mail. and I kept, I'm, back. You're supposed to do this, you know? Yeah, you yes, can. because I bought a key light. I bought the ring light. And I was like, okay. And I hadn't opened it yet, and I bought the little um, the Facebook um, portal because, you know, Amazon Prime Day, I was getting my life. So it was on sale, and I said, let me buy that. And I'm like, my birthday month, I'm going to take it day, rearrange my um, home office so I can, you know, make it look like I want to look. So this box came because he kept saying, he was like, did it come yet? And I was like, well, no. I said, He said, well, let me. I said, why are you sending something to UPS, like Amazon? He's like, just look for the box. So. The other morning, I, he video chatted me, and I opened the box, and I looked at it, and I was like, he was like, well, you said that you – I said, what, did you go on my list? He was like, no. He said, we've been talking about it. He was like, and it's time. He was like, you keep saying, you know, October's coming up, OGC History Month, you've got this list of people. He was like, you need to go ahead. And he was like, you, you don't have to buy that now. you got the microphone. you got the sound thing, all of that. I'll help you set it up. you got your light. I was oh, like, okay. okay. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, so – 
that um, I just and that that really impressed upon me that you know people will support you in what you're doing if mm-hmm. you know because they're not going to a lot of people they can't do it that's not their thing right and um, so even the people like the entertainers in the community that I look at and I'm like I need to get y'all stuff before y'all go <laughs> kind of the thing because mm-hmm. I want to like April Summers mm-hmm. you know she's been around her and um, Edie Franklin because I want to do something with them, the older um, in, um, entertainers. I was talking to D'Angelo Shannon, and um, mm-hmm. the people, I was asking her, what does she think about me setting up a, um, a panel discussion with, um, like, Edie and April and um, Nikki Stevens and the people from who started in the 70s? Like, mm-hmm. how are y'all doing that? It's always in my head. I'm always, like, as a writer, in my head, like, how did you even decide I'm going to do this then? Like, Mm-hmm. before Stonewall. Like, you started when Stonewall was coming around, so you already were creating in your head this person. But I just, you know, it's just important. It's just everybody, because I don't want anybody to tell my story mm-hmm. but me. Because, you know, again, if somebody tells your story, they're going to make it what it sounds like unless it's someone who really knows you and is really like, oh, we need to tell Michelle stuff. But if Michelle ain't got had no stuff put away, then we're just going to make it up. Or she didn't keep mm-hmm. nothing, and you know, one of my um, um, Coco Chanel, she used to live here. She's in um, San Diego. She's been there for mm-hmm. twenty years. She doesn't have mm-hmm. anything. She has mm. two pictures, which I have. She brought them home last year because um, I started talking, telling everybody, I was like, "Look, I'm gonna start. We're gonna either do Zoom if you have to stay or whatever." I said, "But I want to start getting these stories out." And so I was telling her, you know, I was nervous. I was like, well, you know, that's my um, my grandmother. And I said, well, what you think about it? She was like, well, you always been doing that. She was like, remember the paper you wrote about the drag show at the South End in 94? I was like, yeah, I remember. She said, but you've always kind of kept us, you know, visible and made us look normal, like regular people, not like, you know, mm-hmm. fools or something. And um, But she said, I'm, she said, she said, baby, I don't have anything. And she brought me two pictures. Um, one is her, Natalie Cole, and D'Angelo, when D'Angelo's like 16 or something. So I, I scan mm-hmm. those. And um, I just, you know, when I look at them, I see my family. But I see, like, the elders, because I'm there now, but, like, telling these stories. Like, when people see them and see the death still thriving and fabulous, it's like, well, how'd you get here? Like, you in your 50s and you started as a teenager, so you got these four decades of wealth of knowledge to share, you know, and, and not just and with the know, girls in the dressing room. And, you know, when you start to do that and you and you put them on a panel and you start to do that, you'd be surprised. There be There's probably people who have pictures who will go, I got that, and and, and bring mm-hmm. it. That's just like when you and I were talking and, you know, I thought about gospel and so on. I found the one mm-hmm. CD, then I went and found the other one. And when I, I showed him to Curtis, he was like, I didn't even know that they're there. And I only think that, who I don't even remember who did them, but I think they were only like, they only made like about three copies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they kept one. And, I, you know, that would have been lost. So maybe by mm-hmm. featuring them, you know, you'd be surprised who may or may not have some memorabilia about her and mm-hmm. say, hey, look, you know, here it is. Yeah. You know, and how nice it would be to give to have it and make copies for for where we'll find a home for this for them to to say here look this is you 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. When I go through, like, I have boxes of Polaroids and stuff, and just kind of go through some of those pictures, and I'm just like, wow. And you know, and one of the hardest things is always looking at stuff like that, and half of the people in the photos are gone, and mm-hmm. or a picture you look at and it's you left or something. And sometimes I have to just, you know, push it away because um, you don't think about it. You just flip through, and everything just kind of hits you at once. But just like the importance of it is for like our black black gay community to be recognized for the stuff that we've done and the people in it to be really shown as the pioneers and the leaders and what we've done over these last 20, 30, 40, and 50 years. Because mm-hmm. when I go out of town and go to these different places, I'm just like, y'all ain't, as my auntie said, y'all ain't hitting on nothing. <laughs> you know, you know, and... Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm just like, oh, okay, because, you know, when I see, and it's not to, you know, read the girls in the other states, but, you know, our female impersonators are, mm-hmm. like, everything, you know, the production, stunning, just the way they present. And then when I go mm-hmm. to other cities, I'm just like, oh, okay, that's, I'll just, me and my best friend be like, oh, okay, like, but y'all yeah, not doing yeah. this, like, like where the, where the energy at? Like, y'all not going to flip? Y'all not going to, mm-hmm. y'all ain't got no dancers? You know, with this gown, girl, what you giving me? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I was watching, I want to say it was on Legendary, and, and I forget who it was, but they said, you know, she said, you know, that they were used to seeing, like, extraordinary, and, said, and you guys are good, but you were just ordinary. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I just fell yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because you work hard, you work for that craft. You know, like, we have, like, mm-hmm. our ballroom scene here is, we started doing balls in 97. So mm-hmm. our house was formed like in 92, 93. So it was, we were the first house, you know, before the balls. And then we had um, Dickie Dior, the house of Dior, and then the house of Scotta, Neil Moore, William Sanders. So it's kind of us. And then, you know, more houses started, the house, house Rodale, um, Goddess Rodale, that kind of started the whole Midwest house thing. And she's mm-hmm. still around, and that's one of my good friends. And I told him, I was like, look, <laughs> while you land at home recuperating, I'm coming over with this um, tape or phone. I said, because you, you're the reason that all of this has happened. 25 mm-hmm. years ago, I said, but you, you're modest about it, but it's like other people all across the country, them your kids, you are a house mother probably 100 people. I said, and that has to be, it's Marlon Bailey wrote the book, Butch Queen Up and Pops. And that mm-hmm. it details that in there, but it's like different. Like for me, I'm these are like my friends, like my people. Um, I remember when he started writing, and I sent him to a bunch of people. I'm like, I'll talk to them, talk to them. You know, he talked to our house and everything. But it's just like now with the advent of Pose and Legendary and kind of kids Vogue and stuff, which is so funny to me. Um, you know, you just kind of like, well, God, where did this come from? And, again, mm-hmm. if we don't tell it, people don't know that it came from black and brown trans women. Thank you. Yeah. So that's I mean, the there, thing. Somebody, if you, mm-hmm. I know someone once tried to say, oh, Vogue, that came from Madonna. I'm going to, oh, hell no. It didn't come from Madonna. Madonna pimped it and used it to help lift her up and in that way lift up other things. But Madonna didn't come, didn't come up with that, you know. It's like she was going to New York in the balls, like everybody mm-hmm. else. But that's the thing, because I knew when when I was a teenager, again, my oldest cousin, she lived in New York, and I would go see her, like when I was every summer, 
And, you know, I did, again, me not, I'm not knowing. She just take me, oh, let's go down. We go to the piers. You know, I'm a kid. We looking. We watching them. And she told me, she said, oh, that's just a dance. They vogue in. I was like, oh, okay, because I used to be in dance school or whatever. She said, go on over there. You know, just have fun. You know, and I was like, she's sitting there watching me. I'm like a teenager and just whatever. So I didn't think anything else about it until the video came out for Vogue. And I was just like, oh, wow. And the one thing I got on my first, on my second job on at Wayne State, when I walked in, this white guy, he said, you look just like that guy in the Madonna video. Hmm. I I said, good morning to you, too. I'm like, I haven't even met you. I just walked in to start working, and that's, you know, and he, and he said it, you know, and I was just like, okay, whatever. <clears throat> you know, I'm just, that's how y'all identify us. You know, that's the only reference point he had for, I guess, him thinking that I was, you know, gay or whatever. But mm-hmm. it's just, again, knowing the history, knowing, you know, why, how it started here or why, you know, you why you're doing these collections, why people are doing the stuff that they're doing, like the full truth history, like all the churches, like here. You know, I know when I when I went to New York because um, Bishop, Bishop Joseph Tolson is one of my very good friends. <clears throat> and I remember he told me that he was going to start a church, and this was in 96. I was like, what? You, he was, and he was working in Elder, wait, is it Archbishop Jones or Zachary Jones? But at the time, he was just um, the elder of the church, his church, and I met him. Mm -hmm. Then I was like 23, 24, so connecting to all these people. But, you know, they're important. But then we have, you know, Reverend McCoy, you know, I'm full truth, all of that stuff when it started. But, like, nobody talks about that. Nobody – I know it's stuff around in um, Reverend McCarroll, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of like, you know, I got the clips of the – the um the bios and stuff, you know, from between the lines, but that's that's just two paragraphs about Thank you know, you. person mm-hmm. like for us. That's not even mm-hmm. the stuff that we need. Like I keep them because they're the reference points, but it's just like I got pictures with Reverend McCarroll just hanging out over, you know, at Mr. Tay's house and my Teresa Corey's just kind of being in the community. You know, just as a man, just talking about you know, him, you know, working in the church and just, you know, you hear these things and then you look up, and you're like, oh, my God, this person has been gone for 20 years, 15 years. Like, who know, who remembers him? Who knows this person? Like, that we speak your name is very, very real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like you, sometimes you can't get to – sometimes it's be a lot because the energy comes at me and I'm just like, oh, wait, because when I was getting ready – to call you, I was like, okay, don't y'all, not in the house. I don't hear nothing falling <laughs> over. My energy's strong, so I got on, like, one mm-hmm. of my crystals. But when I, I heard, I was like, mm-mm, so we're not about to do this. I was like, I just need the energy for a minute so I can go talk to Miss Michelle. Like, mm-hmm. and, um, but, because, you know, I run into people. I ran into um, a man that transmitted creating change in 2019. I was with Ashton Woods, and he told me, he looked at me, and he was like, you know, mm-hmm. you're a griot. And I was like, mm-hmm. he said, you're a griot. You're a storyteller. You, you're you called to tell stories. I said, um, okay. Never met him and just walked in the room. And he just sat up in the bed and started mm-hmm. giving me this reading. Just about, he was like, you, people will come to you and tell you the stories. He said, you have to preserve your story, their stories. Just, 
you know, you, you have a good intention for it. He was like, it'll pay off. It will just, and I'm looking at Ashton like, what is going on? He was like, we came yeah, here to um, get some food. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's him. Mm-hmm. So I went to, um, so when it came, I went to Curtis and I was like, you know, I want to um, archive, be the archival historian for here. Mm-hmm. He was like, good, baby, because, you know, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I love that. That, that he, is Curtis. I mean, that is perfect. He was like, great. He said, when I get an email or something, I'm going to send it right to you. So mm-hmm. Jaron Cotton, he was like, oh, um, Magic's going to blah, blah, blah. He was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. why, um, you know, I try to make sure that we do it. Because, like, for the people in the community, like, when it's like you all are so respected by the younger people, and that's very Detroit. That's a very Detroit thing. You know, that's a very, um, that's a very Detroit thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it is, um, it's something. It's, it's, it's something. I, I'm, I'm just thinking about Ashton, and you know, I, I met him at a creating change, and we were we had a mutual friend, Monica Roberts, and you know, we were always Monica. And Monica introduced me to Ashton, and he mm-hmm. and I had a similar experience, and it's just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It that's the thing that I think that that we do, and that you're doing. Um, it's like. Everybody doesn't have to do everything, but sometimes the part that you do will open mm-hmm. the door for someone else to take to the next level. You know, there was Kick, and Kick became LGBT, LGBTQ Detroit. And then, like, mm-hmm. when you said you wanted to do that, it wasn't like, oh, well, I'm going to do that. No, it was like, okay, <laughs> I'll send you these emails, and i you know, make it happen. And that's how mm-hmm. we can do it. Everybody doesn't, you know, you don't have to find everything because there's pieces of our history are everywhere, but we have to connect. We right. just have to connect, you know. But we're going to take what I'm going to call our seventh inning stretch, take a quick okay. break, and then I'm going to, you know, I'm a, I want to give you your roses because so, I'm proud. Okay. okay. So we'll be, we'll be right there. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm back here with Damon Percy. And I'm going to tell you, Damon, the Billionaire Boys Club was celebrating, I want to say, their 35th um, anniversary. And we have talked about these CDs. I had them, had them in my purse. You know, I said, I'm going to have these in my purse. So next time I see Damon, I'm going to give them to him. And you weren't there. <laughs> so I gave them to Curtis. But I saw. And, you know, and I am very proud of you. Um, you, you received the award from your fraternity, Kappa Psi Kappa, with the Robert Smith Neal of the Year Award for 2022. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you, how big a surprise was that for you? And, I mean, we've talked about family. You've talked about your ballroom family you've talked about your lgbt detroit family but this is part of this is a family too this is your fraternal family how did you get involved with them i think you i think i saw that you said you were been involved for 13 years i know they started in 2001 yes this is our anniversary and 
How big a surprise was it for you to receive this award? So we, um, so the award I actually got was the Longevity Award, mm-hmm. um, which that really surprised me because, you know, they have different awards. Um, so what we have every two years is um, um, Conclave. It's a, a national event, and it's where we take care of our business of the organization. Mm-hmm. So we do that like any other. We have meetings for like three days, and then we have a little fun, and then we have a banquet where we celebrate everybody. So um, – Capital Capital is our anniversary week, August 17, 2001, incorporated in Florida. Um, Happy anniversary. Thank you. In time for your birthday. (laughs) Oh, right, right. Just in time. August Mm -hmm. is the best month. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. so I got involved because um, years ago, um, there was a gentleman, he was a friend of mine. He was in the organization. He always talked about it to us. So we just kind of looked at him like, okay, you hide by yourself. That's great. And um, we ended up meeting, going to Chicago, meeting um, a bunch of friends of his. Because he kept telling me, he said, my friend, he said, my fraternity brother is just like you. He said he has all of his, all of his books in his house and all of his music. And I was like, okay. And when I met him, Henry Walker, it was just like looking in the mirror. It was like looking it's in the Henry. mirror. Like the same I, I, I yeah, it's Henry. I I yeah. Henry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 yeah. He's it's like looking at a mirror, um, you know. Same, he's the writer. Like we get together, so I wasn't thinking about the organization. We just met a group group of great people. So they started trying to recruit us, and I was like, no, you know, I'm kind of old for this. Like I didn't do it when I was in Wayne State. I'm not doing it now because you know I'm like, nobody gonna tell me what to do. No, Detroit, very Detroit. And mm-hmm. um, so my best friend Marcus Pratt. He was like, oh, you know, I think we should do something different. And I'm like, what? He said, pledge. I said, I'll support you because I ain't doing it. <laughs> but then, you know, he pulled the card. He was like, oh, you know, but, you know, you're my best friend. You know, I can't do it without you. And I was like, damn you. I said, okay. <laughs> so we, we went through the pledge process and did that. And we crossed October 25th, 2009 at 3.26 a.m. I remember that because we had went to – a party earlier that day at Robert Tate's house. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. came into the city to cross us, but they just kind of let us be. But so I got involved with that. And I got involved because what they represent, um, the the brotherhood, the community service aspect, just kind of the um, building up, you know, black men, um, you know, in the identification, just really being examples for, um, men, like we, you know, working together and just kind of making things and expanding. Um, a lot of people, you know, weren't accepted in the traditional Divine Nine, um, Black Greek organizations, which that's actually has changed in the last 20 years because, you know, we work with all these organizations during Greek Week and community because we are black. And they just like, okay, they're realizing that we're not really thinking about them in that way. <laughs> so they're like, okay, we're cool, right? So, you know, kind of joined it, and then with that, we have four other organizations under us. We're the parent organization. So the organization that we sit under is Tau Kappa Phi Incorporated, and we're the only Greek family that's bonded. So we have um, Kappa Phi Kappa fraternity, which is the gentleman, and then we have two mm-hmm. lesbian organizations, Phi Nu Kappa Sorority um, for the Sim lesbians and um, Alpha Phi Kappa 
fraternity for the um, gentle women, you know, the more mm-hmm. dominant women. And then we have um, Kappa Iota Sigma, that's for the trans women, and Alpha Omega Kappa for the trans men. So we have um, five families. Mm-hmm. that we um, all celebrated. So we, you know, come together, our conclave, that's our big family picnic, you know, pretty much. But it's important because, again, you see yourself reflected. Like, I'm older, so I've had my reflections. It's my turn to, you know, help people, you know, and just kind of be whatever, I always tell people, whatever energy that you get from me and that's what you want, then that's fine. Like, I don't have any problem being somebody's mother and their father, their aunt and uncle, like all of that, you know, I'm mm-hmm. secure with me. I'm, I'm magic. So it's like, oh, you can't, no, you know, just let's, let's go with it. But, like, we're all over the country. So we have chapters and colonies and brothers all over the country in different states. And I think that that was kind of part of a, a second chapter in my life, like finding a whole new space of people to love and to be loved by. Um, you know, and finding, you know, a group of men who just really, you know, just love you, like, for you. It's just mm-hmm. kind of like it's nothing because it's not about sex. It's just like this is my family, you know, and, um, you know, people bond to the ones they're closest to, like, anywhere, but not in a way that removes other people. It's like you're there to help them and just kind of, you know, evolve, do community service. Like, we've done service here. We've hosted um um, Mr. Tate stuff, we fought for LGBT stuff, like all of us work together. But like for me, just kind of, yeah, that's, that's my family. That's a whole um, other family. And I made sure to post all the pictures this time because that was mm-hmm. leading into my birthday. And I was like, you know, I'm celebrating this with you all too. You know, they're, um, they're very protective. Like I'm 12. I don't know what that's about. But it's like they're just – they. <laughs> My God, I'm like, I can't do nothing. you like, when we go places, it's just kind of like they make sure, you know, you good, you okay, you know, me and um, my best friend will cross with me. But it's like I'm all, I've am i always been a nurturer. Mm-hmm. So that, that energy is kind of what goes to. And, you know, black men need to know that some people are safe spaces for them. Like I'm a mm-hmm. safe space. So that you know, they identify that, you know, no matter how hard acting they are or anything like that, you know, you hug somebody and a lot of times they just kind of rest on you. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. You know, and it's like you 6'3", and you just kind of lean down and just kind of like that energy, you know, is what they need. They see a, a black man who's, you know, in, t- in touch with being sensitive and not in a way of being predatory. It's just kind of like, okay, let's, you know, talk to silent men, let's kind of work this out. And it's like the things that we, you know, do in the community when different organizations connect with us, they see that we are, you know, about business, mm-hmm. you know, that we're really here to do whatever the work it is that needs to be done and just kind of, you know, expand, you know, the gifts that we bring, you know, to the organization because people come in already, you know, kind of talented and shiny. And some people have grown up, you know, in the organization. And it's like when I, you know, I look at them and watch them, you know, you talk them through, you know, college, this kind of life, because I'm like, oh, I am this age, and you're just still a baby to me, like 30, 25. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you were a kid. And um, 
but it's like you know we you call and talk and it's just like that love when I had um I got really sick in 2014 I had a a blood clot burst in my leg my calf muscle and the bacteria went through my whole body and settled in my mm. head I had cellulitis okay. so it was just a whole big Tyler Perry Stephen King production because <laughs> it was just awful so okay. I was sick for a while and went to an event. Because I had, like, I was unable to kind of like, walk and do stuff before I went there. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, I'm not going because I'm your burden. We were in the mountains. And um, so three of my brothers, because Henry was like, well, make sure, you know, Junior's okay. You know, because just, you know, he, he proud. I can see make Henry sure he, saying that. I can see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, me and, me and Mark, my best friend, are his fraternal son. So mm-hmm. he, because um, he, he crossed us into the organization. And, um, mm-hmm. but he... So I'm there, and I'm trying to still be all independent. I'm like, boy, you just got back walking again, so you need to quit. Mm-hmm. But they took care. <clears throat> they took care of me, and um, you know, I I cried on like one of the things. And I was like, what you doing? I was like, yeah, I'm burning y'all. They was like, no. They was like, as much as you here for us, we doing the same thing for you. We're your brothers. Mm-hmm. Nobody's concerned about that. And it's like that whole transparency and able to be vulnerable. You know, because men in the world are not allowed to be vulnerable or transparent mm-hmm. without somebody writing an article, you know, he yay or he's this and that and he's just too soft. And it's like, ma'am, that's why y'all ain't got nobody. That's why you don't have anybody. But, um, yeah, so it's just like that organization is important because we do a lot of great work in the community, all of us across the country. So when we get together, it's just kind of like, you know, we just love on each other as much as we can, you know, because especially with COVID, you know, you learn that, you know, people can just go in the blink mm-hmm. of an eye just that quickly, like losing people back to back to back here in Detroit, just in our organization, we lost a few people, but just, you know, just really recognize the value of how important and necessary the brotherhood is for you and, you know, for the um other organizations that, you know, are under us. But, yeah, I got Longevity Award, and I just was sitting there, and other people getting, I'm like, yeah, yeah, because I've been kind of shepherding a few other people. And when they called, I was like, what? They was like, yeah, 13 years. It'll be in October. Mm-hmm. I was like, and some people was like, you've been that long? I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I said, and I've never been inactive. And, you know, you go through what you have to go through in the organizations. It's political mm-hmm. like anything else. But, you know, you remember why you joined. And then you look at, always look at the people that are coming in and, again, who need me to help them kind of figure it out. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times a lot of times they're sent to me by other brothers. Oh, you need to call Brother Percy because I don't know how to be all nurturing and listening like that. <laughs> so you call him. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, call, you know, me or, you know, Henry. And it's just kind of like, okay. Um, so it's just kind of like we, you know, do our, you know, our family here, our fraternal family and stuff and have, you know, monthly family dinners and, you know, all that type of thing. And, um, we just kind of make sure to know each other outside of the letters and that that whole process to know each other as the persons and the men and women, you know, who came in and that's how you stay connected to stay close. And, um, I think the mistake a lot of people make when they become a part of Anything is that they don't get to know the people for the people. Mm-hmm. It's like we're all in the same, we're all in this for the same reason. 
you. So it's like, let's get, we know what we're doing. Let's sit here and talk about, you know, what you need, you know, as a person, like, how can I support you emotionally? You know, what you need for me? Do you need prayer? You need encouraging words? You need to laugh, a drink, like what you need? Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. people, I hate to see people isolated and alone. And that's just always been me. I'm just like, why this person by themselves, you know? And, but it's like, yeah, this has just been the whole, these 13 years have been just like, you know, extraordinary with the people. And now it's like they're really, they're much younger, of course, than me now. But it's like mm-hmm. they, you know, they come and they find me and this, you know, unk this, unk that, or, you know, whatever the case is. I mean, you know, I'm somebody TT or whatever. It don't matter. But it's like <laughs> they're safe. Mm-hmm. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're safe. They feel safe. And, you know, it's my job to always, you know, again, and tell them the stories to make sure that they know how they got to the place. One of my brothers, um, Brother Richard Hervey, he's into law. And he, he lives in the Bay Area. So when we went to San Francisco, he took me. So I took him on a tour, and I explained who Sylvester was to Castro, and because he was asking about Harvey Milk, like who was this mm-hmm. person. So I was like, "Oh, you need to know because you and the law. That's the first, you know, they got murals everywhere in San Francisco of him." And so I took him to the HRC <laughs> store mm-hmm. and introduced him, and they were like, "Oh, so he connected with them." I was like, "Yeah, he." I'm like, "I'm like, child, he ain't he a baby? He not thirty. They was like, "Oh," I was like, "Yeah," I was well, like. Hello. <laughs> I was like, no. I'm like, he, he. I stopped teaching him. I said, he don't know. I, I had to do mm-hmm. the, the gay tour guide in New York for them, for the fraternity brothers. Mm-hmm. I was like, y'all don't know. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, I forgot y'all young. I'm like, come on, let's hit it. I'm like, that's the Buster Marshall P. Johnson. This is, you know, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, the Stonewall. And we walked all through there. I thought I was coming here since I was a kid. You know, I mm-hmm. said, but it's like, you all need to know these are people that fought and got treated like this and killed. Mm-hmm. So you can mm-hmm. so we can stand out here hugging each other and holding hands on Christopher Street. I'm like somebody threw her in the water. Mm-hmm. I, I said, you know, but mm-hmm. but yeah, my fraternity, yeah, it's 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 a it's a blessing, and it just reaffirms that you know there are young people who still want to work and want to you know do the work of the community of their own, and just you know they're able to live how they want to live. Mm-hmm. You know, however out loud or quietly, it's still they're able to do it. And this gives also other, you know, young queer people a place if they want to be a part of a fraternity or sorority and not feel like they have to hide themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's the other thing. They don't have to go and try and join Kalsa Alpha Psi because they feel like, oh, I can't be myself and they can find us you know, Catholic Psych Fraternity Incorporated and find us and, you know, find a home, you know, with people who are just like them. Well, Damon, I'm going to tell you, you have not only found but made a home everywhere you've been, you know, and and continue to build that. You are a nurturer. I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with me about this. I mean, we're going to have to talk again. I mean that's yes. all because you got more you got more story to tell me and I'm gonna get mm. every bit of it from you. Um, <laughs> how if someone wants if particularly, you know, if they have uh pictures, photos, um that they want to get to you, what's the best way for them to contact you? 
Um, they can. I'm on all social media, so I'm Damon Percy. Um, but my uh, my handle is Brown Eyed Scribe. I know. Um, I know on, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on Twitter and Instagram, and you can message me there. I mean, Facebook, of course. You know, DM me. Let me know where you're from, who you are, because the site will be up soon. But right now, I want all of us to start. You know, connecting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hit me up, inbox me, let me know what you got, you know, what you're doing, because everybody got a little photo or a box of pictures or flyers or tapes or something, a magazine that we have, want to try and get as much, you know, as we can, you know, to start really piecing us together, like making a big quilt, a big digital quilt somewhere mm-hmm. and start doing you know, exhibitions in different cities, because I think that that's the other piece. Like, there are not enough shows detailing what we do. Like, I've done several here. Mm-hmm. You know, I've worked with the Detroit Historical Museum. They helped do my first one, LGBT Detroit, and I, that gave me the green light to go and do these panel discussions I had with our community, and we just did an art show with photos detailing um, Kick Magazine, the first decade, and showcase other artists. Um, so Damon Percy on Facebook, um, Brown Eyed Scribe on Instagram and Twitter, and, you know, please DM me, you know, let me know where you're from and, um, let me know what you got, you know, what you're thinking about doing. Cause you know, this is going to be a good thing. It's going to be an ongoing project. It's going to be, um, the chosen family chronicles. Mm. That's what it's going to mm-hmm. be called. Mm-hmm. So, because we're all a chosen family that's connected by some, story or detail or person. You know, the Legacy Project in um, Chicago, they have some kind of, (laughs) and it's not a display as an understatement, but they have certain things, they have something that they take around and they leave at different universities. And they've even been able to um, influence certain parts of the curriculum, but they're just like, I mean, every gay, you know, all gay, you know, mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, particularly Detroit is still a black city. I mean, they may mm-hmm. have taken over downtown, but we still got it. We black. I can even, thank you, you know, to show in the schools and to do that. You know, so, I mean, there's so many things, like I said, we are going to have more conversations, not only like this, but one-on-one. Yes. Because, I mean, I just sort of see it. I think it's going to be amazing. But, Damon, yeah. I want to thank you for tonight. Um, thank you. I appreciate you. Oh, so thank much. you, this all I've always appreciated you and watched you kind of navigate through the things. And like I tell you, I, you know, I always make mental notes of people who have done it. And you always done it like in a quiet way. And it'll be like, oh, Michelle has this event these things. I'm like, what? She said, Okay, let me make notes and go look at her stuff and see what she did. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you know. So y'all yeah, appreciate yeah. that. Okay. Well, um, I will talk to you very soon. I want to thank my guest, Damon Magic Percy, a self-proclaimed author, activist, cultural critic, mentor, poet, publicist and proud sexy nerd. Damon is a Detroit original. 
He works as a publicist in the gospel music industry and a freelance music journalist online and in print and is a proud member of Kappa Psi Kappa Inc. Fraternity. Be sure to follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com.